Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're excited to introduce our new sponsor, Carrot London. They're an absolute trailblazer in jewellery. In fact, they've created an environmentally conscious community that includes some big names like Lady Gaga and Ellie Golden. The key is lab-grown diamonds. Yes, lab-grown. Growing them in a lab means no mining, no unjust labour and no guilt. We believe this sustainable way of producing diamonds could be the future of the jewellery industry. Because these diamonds don't cost the earth. They save it. <laughs> I just added that. Both literally and figuratively. Competitively priced compared to a mine stone, their new Gentle Diamond range aims to be completely carbon neutral. You can find Carrot London at their trendy upmarket boutiques in Covent Garden and White City or go online at carrotlondon.com. Go get them. Oh, that is a nice sound. Love that. It goes on a little bit. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is it still going? I can't hear it anymore. I only heard the initial... So um, it's a, um, a Tibetan uh, bowl. It's like the tree of life. Yeah. I, I only just got this because I realised in my practice I've got everything except for any sort of sound thing. Okay. So the sound and the vibration is quite nice. Yeah, it is. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Well, um, welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are super lucky. We've, this has been in the, um, in the offing for a long time, hasn't it? Mm. <laughs> this, this podcast. But we are really lucky to be joined here by Emma Cannon. Hello. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's yeah, we I think we contacted you maybe nearly a year ago. Yeah, initially. Oh yeah. And then it's been to and fro and to and fro and to and fro, but here we are. Yeah, it's hard to pin things down at the moment, isn't it? And I also yeah. find with Zooms that there's all sort of more um because I'm seeing more people on Zoom now rather than face to face because I mm. did have a clinic and now I'm doing more con- you know and consultancy online and um I feel it's easier to move a Zoom somehow I think people kind yeah. of and I think I, I think things come up genuinely the energy is really different and changeable at the moment so it seems hard to pin things down it's I think it's just the thing we've got to get used to in a way yeah yeah and do you, do you find do you prefer meeting IRL like in in real life uh I mean, I adored my clinic. I had a yeah. clinic for 25 years. I loved it. You know, I I just created this beautiful space and when women would come, it was like a dream come true. But I kind of, I got to the point with it, and this might be a bit of a longer answer than you thought, but, I got, but it's interesting to where we're at. I got to the point with it where I, people were rushing across town to come and see me. Um, you know, they'd have all day in the office. They already had a commute. They were rushing, up, you know, in between the IVF sessions. And and I got to the point where I was like, I really hope I'm not becoming part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Mm. Um, you know, That's adding really another interesting. stress, another thing yeah. to, to do. Um, and And I sort of felt a shift in me that I wanted to change, but change it a bit um for myself and for other people um and um and obviously the pandemic forced my hand so we still do have two pop-up acupuncture clinics in town one in sloan square near the lister hospital and one up in the west end um where my associate work associates work i've got two associates that work with me for sort of 15 years 
and uh, but we don't have a central hub anymore so I do all of my stuff online and it's more the planning and the consulting and I do this technique called compassionate inquiry and actually I find that I can change and move energy which is what acupuncture does um, through this process so I'm actually loving it Um, that's good yeah, I do still see a handful of people at, at my home um, because I would hate to lose that face to face. Yeah, I've been shield. I was shielding for a year, so I I wasn't allowed to see anyone. Yeah, anyway. So yeah. 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 And so, for obviously, we know who you are and we know what you do. But could you explain a bit about who you are and what you do to for those <laughs> listeners who who don't? Yes. So I, I guess these days, and it's, it's such a it's such a strange thing. A tradition. My my training was in acupuncture and Chinese medicine, um, but I always worked with Western medicine. So I did. I studied with the Royal College of Ops and Gynes. I, I did courses with them, and I've always sort of educated myself across the board. Um, but my my actual qualification is in acupuncture Chinese medicine. Um, and early in my career, I decided that I wanted to, to work with Western medicine to build bridges because I felt that um, Western medicine is brilliant, but it tends to very much focus on pathology and what's wrong with you rather than what happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and also with things like miscarriage and baby loss, I felt there was a huge gap. Um, I felt, um, I feel that medicine yeah, it, it lacks at some point lacks compassion um, mm. and really seeing the um, patient client as a, as a whole person rather than just, you know, the sum of their, um, you know, their blood results and their scan. Definitely. So, yeah, so um, so I uh, but these days I would say that I'm more of a, a mentor. Um, I don't really I, I, I definitely don't. Um, a coach doesn't feel right to me. Um, that's not a word I would use for myself. Um, I would say I'm more of a mentor. Um, and, um, I'm very strategic. My dad was a general actually, so I'm very strategic and I'm very good at putting a plan together. Um, and I think basically what I do is I create a structure of safety, um, for people where they feel held, they have a plan, um, it might include a medical journey, but it would also include looking at other areas of their life that may be impacting on their fertility. Wonderful. So, yeah, so that's kind of what I do. And what what might those areas be, just for, for example? Oh, and I wrote some books. <laughs> oh, I yeah. actually, I have one of your books. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so... What would so those areas say, be? Yeah. Um, it's very individual, and I think that's my skill, is, is if you go to a nutritionist, you're going to get a diet. Whether or not you need a diet, you'll get a diet. If you go to an IVF clinic, you'll probably get IVF. It's a bit like going <laughs> to a butcher. You're going to get meat if you go to a butcher. They're not going to sell you fish, yeah. right? So, so what I do is I sit down, and because I have this kind of crazy brain, and because I've been exposed to so many different things like medicine, spirituality, I spent a lot of time in the 90s listening to spiritual teachers at the time that were kind of bringing these eastern philosophies it was kind of yoga was really beginning to blossom then um and so i i've been exposed to many different things so i think my skill is looking at the person and seeing where it is that they need to what area of their life that they need to bring make more fertile so it might be their job or it might be their relationship it might be that they have some trauma from their past it's going to be very different with everybody Mm. I guess I always take a very thorough 
um, case history. Um, so tell me, you know, what, so what happened to you? Tell me your story. You know, rather than that very medical approach, which is what's wrong with you? What do yeah. your blood say? What da, 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 da. So it's like, what happened to you? And that gives me a way in, you know, it gives me, it kind of gives me an opening. Um, and so it might be that it's the diet that needs changing and, you know, not underestimating the power that in some people changing your diet can have. But in a lot of people, it can add an additional stress, which really doesn't help things. Um, and it's one of the kind of, I don't know, I call it the shadow of wellness industry, is that we've been sort of told that if we do everything right, you know, if we think positive things and we eat the right foods, then we're going to achieve our goal. And I think we know that that, that isn't really a reality. And so when that doesn't happen, it feels like another fail. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm sure you've, both of you have experienced this, you know. Yeah. 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 And I think that's that's something that is reflected a lot. We hear about a lot is that it's the one thing it's the one test that you can't study for. Right. It's the one. It doesn't matter how high how high you are achieving. And I think it's some really, really high academic achievers find the whole concept of infertility really challenging because it's that one thing that it doesn't matter that you're doing all the right things. If it's not happening, it's not happening. If you try hard enough, you can achieve anything. Well, that's yeah. rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? We know that. Yeah, it is when it comes to this, for sure. And I think that, I mean, you know, I worked in central London for 20 plus years and, you know, my client base were, were high achieving women and couples. And, mm. and you know, even when it comes down to IVF, if they've got anything other than an A-grade embryo, they would see it as a failure. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and this, you know, this expectation and what, and what we, the meaning that we attach to things um, it, it's, it's really powerful. I, I had a really interesting one the other day, actually, as well. Um, this, this girl was a, a fertility nutritional coach, I think her title, she called herself. Anyway, so she she was um, saying that she was doing IUI, but in her mind, it had already failed. She's like, I'm already thinking that I'm going to have to do IVF. And I said, and what have you made that mean? And she's like, she thought about it for a bit. And she's like, well, I've made it mean that as a fertility nutritional coach that I'm a failure because I really shouldn't have got to the stage where I need IVF, apart from the fact that she hadn't even got to the stage where she needed IVF. She'd done Mm -hmm. one IUI cycle. She was already catastrophizing that she was going to need. So this was heavily loaded already with all this expectation of failure and everything that that failure meant. And, and, uh, and I just made her unpick it a bit. I just said, okay, well, I want you to write a list of everything that you've made this, uh, this IVF that you're not net needing. Yeah. <laughs> Me. <laughs> and when you point it out like that, you can see the ridiculousness of it, but the mind goes into this sort of trauma place yeah. where it, it doesn't know where to put the anxiety of it. So it just starts attaching meaning to all of these things, which, which may be meaningless. Yeah. Oh, interesting. The mind is so powerful, isn't it? Because I think that's in in all areas of life. Anxiety is a horrible, horrible thing. And when you unpick it, I I have, I struggle with anxiety, but my rational brain knows that I'm being irrational, but you can't, it's a cycle that when, and and then it's a rabbit hole, I find. And then suddenly you're like, whoa. 
<laughs> how did I end up thinking this? <laughs> and that's, that's kind of where my work has sort of evolved into. And that happened over the pandemic in a way, because there was a lot of anxiety. Mm. And also because I was doing sessions like this, where you're very, you know, there's no hiding place when you're face to face. Before we started recording, you asked me if it was, you know, if, it, if I liked it better or, 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 you know, than in person. It's just an evolution for me because actually there's an intensity that comes from this kind of work. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it's it's really interesting how it's slightly shifted. And a lot of my work is helping people unpick those beliefs. And what does that have to do with fertility, you might ask? When we are coming from the, those places, they're often wounding, they're often belief systems that have been set up early in our life through which our life as an adult has been pretty much dictated. Um, so if we have uh, if we have an expectation to failure, you know, that's going to be a pattern that comes through our life. And so when we have failure, we attach all of this meaning to it. You know, even if an IVF, IVF cycle isn't necessarily failure, um, but it can come with all of this huge meaning and anxiety. Um, and, and that what that does in the body and the mind is it creates a sense of not being safe. And I think that the feeling of safety is a fundamental requirement to to be to fertility, and it's something that is not, is beginning to be studied. Um, and I think it will probably be something that it blossoms in the next kind of ten years. But this, you know, how come there's such a thirty percent of people is, is diagnosed as unexplained? You know, what's that about? You know, mm. must be something that we're not asking or something that we're not looking at, and. Um, you know, an implantation is is really is, is the only time when we accept something into our body that's other than us. So our immune system has to adapt to that. Um, and so and that can trigger a response in the body. So that's the kind of area that I'm really fascinated in, the immune system um, and how and how the body receives the implanting embryo and what or doesn't. Yeah, or, or doesn't yeah yeah or receives it and rejects it um and of course of course there's things like scarring on the uterus and there's you know a genetic actual physical problem. stuff yeah you know of course there are actual medical things um and um but I also think creating a sense of safety is really important um whether it's through your clinics or whoever it is that you work with I think it's I think it's increasingly important yeah, I, we spoke to, I can't remember who it was, but we spoke to someone recently and they said they went for their first, I, oh, it was actually, it was my other job. I, I, I'm a photographer and I went and did a photo shoot with a, a lady and she had, we ended up talking about the worst girl gang and she'd had trouble conceiving her first and she was very, very pregnant with her second um, and she said that she'd had miscarriages and she ended up conceiving through IVF. And she said, no, she didn't. She had a, she had it booked in. She had IVF, her first appointment booked in. She went to the appointment and the IVF doctor said, look, we're going to get you pregnant. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. You will, you'll have a baby. And she conceived naturally the, the following month. And she said that feeling of someone saying everything's going to be fine. So yeah. you, you mm. are going to have a baby was That's such a load, a weight off her shoulders. That, and, and then and then they conceived naturally. Yeah. Did that what happened to you? It happens well, a lot. I yeah, I, I'd never really thought of it as 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 like that and, and a feeling of safety. 
But mm. yeah, I went through loss after loss, went to yeah. specialists, was never taken seriously. And then I finally got to see an, a reproductive immunologist who I had faith in and I'd heard good good things about. And I had Magic Mike. Magic it's... Mike. And then yeah. I had the tests done, which showed something. And I thought, thank goodness, like I'm not going insane. I knew there was something going on, but I couldn't start my treatment for it um, until I'd had a second set of blood tests done like four months later. But I fell pregnant in the meantime. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I see this all the time and um, I, I, I need to find out who Magic Mike is. But um, <laughs> um, I've not been to any of those shows. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, it's, um, it, it can be really annoying for people. I know this is a trigger for people because sometimes like for, for you, it's not a trigger because you kind of can see how that could work. But it but was I a trigger before yeah it was a trigger yeah exactly yeah. and I, I would and have I, said whatever that's a load of rubbish yeah and I want to I want to call that out because you know I know it's really difficult when you're sitting there struggling and in pain and um but all I can say after 25 years is I do believe there's something in that and and there is science coming through now um to say that the way that we produce hormones and feral hormones and and, and, and the way that our nervous system and our immune system acts is really important in terms of um, implantation because our body has to adjust to the implanting embryo. And it is genetically half, not us. So that's, that is a challenge. That is a yeah, challenge. that's interesting, isn't it? Yes, it's a challenge for the immune system. And if the immune system is under stress from many different other ways, it can disrupt that process. Um, and years ago, I sat in with a guy called um, Dr. Beer, and he wrote the book called Is Your Body Baby Friendly? Mm. Again, I think it's a slightly emotive title, but anyway, have to sell books. Um, yeah. And um, uh, because immediately women will think, maybe my body's not baby friendly. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it, it's it, it, again, it's a trigger. And there are many in this field. Um, and um, but he was really fascinating because he would look at the immune system and he would take an amazing case history. Like when I when I used to sit in on him, I was like, I don't know another medic that takes a case history like mm. I take a case history. He takes a thorough case history, the same as I would as a Chinese medicine practitioner, looking at everything, lifestyle, stresses, environment, you know, everything. Um, and uh, he, so he was really fascinating. And then I started getting really interested in the immune system and I started seeing patterns in my, my clients, my patients, and I started treating them and creating a sense of safety and people who had been diagnosed with elevated natural killer cells were getting pregnant without having to have this adjunct treatment. Um, and then I read this book by Gabor Mate called um, When the Body Says No, and it's the cost of hidden stress. And when I read, and he doesn't talk about fertility, but when I read it, I was like, well, this is the science behind this. This is exactly what I've been seeing in my patients. So if anyone's interested, read, read both those books. They, they are interesting. Um, and then I, I studied this method with Gabor Mate, which is Compassionate Inquiry, which is kind of unraveling these belief systems and kind of getting to the core of of these strongly held beliefs because that's what creates this sense of danger in the body and that's what creates a sense of not being safe mm. oh, um, so interesting yeah really yeah, I find it fascinating yeah yeah and so obviously that's in terms of fertility but do you 
treat people who have had miscarriages as well? Yeah, I do. And um, I myself had two uh, miscarriages, one early and one quite late. Mm. Um, and I mean, my children are 25, 20. So my pregnancies were a long time ago. And they were, if, you think there's a, if you think there's little support now, there was even less then. Yeah, you I'm know, sure, yeah. It, um, it, um, you know, um, so um, so that really motivated me, and I, that's why I love your work, um, but that really motivated me to fill that gap and to support women through that. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I I work with Elle Wright, you know, I've I worked with her. Um, yeah. Did you, have you read her book? Yeah. yeah. And I just wrote the foreword for her, her second book. And I, I, I'm really, we when I had my clinic, we used to hold circles for baby loss and, and they were really powerful, just women sharing together, actually. Um, so, yeah, I'm, ve- I'm very um, interested. And, and I think the stuff that I've just been talking about does come into that as, as well. Um, I've, you know, women have suffered in silence for millennials, you know, for, mm. through baby loss and, um, you know, and miscarriage. So, yeah, I'm very passionate about that area. I think, it, you know, I think we really need to, you know, shine a light on on that and what women actually go through. And, and actually mm. one of the things that I did was really interesting, actually. During the first lockdown, I work, was working a lot with women in quite high positions in their companies, you know, lawyers and things like that, and women who'd had miscarriages, you know, cause, and who'd been working till, you know, four in the morning and then getting up and going back, you know, just picking it up the pieces and going back to work. And and I, I really had frank conversations with women like that who are in position of power and just said, you need to demonstrate, you know, some compassion. You need to give yourself some compassion. Yeah. Like if you don't give yourself compassion, how can we ever expect anyone to change this for women? Yeah. Um, and a couple of them decided to, you know, put policies in place to support mm. women in their company. So for me, I was like, that was you know, I've never thought about my work affecting in that way because always yeah. I'm working with the individual. So suddenly I was like, wow, I'm actually talking to people who are in charge of making these policies. And I think it's yeah. really important that I actually call them on this. And yeah. I think, you know, the sisterhood, we have to call each other. And really, I just said, if, if you're not prioritizing you, who, who, the, hell, who the hell else do you think is going to prioritize yeah. you? No one is. You know, no one's coming to save us. <laughs> there are changes happening aren't there there are I feel like it's a real um a real positive time with people bringing in their miscarriage policies yeah like uh channel four and monzo we've been speaking to people recently about baby loss policies and just people are interested and they they want to help and I guess the thing is that it's so bloody common infertility and baby loss yeah now that people are starting to be open about it and speak more about their own experiences people all know someone that's going through it whereas Mm. go back in time you might have known people that were going through it but you didn't know that they were going through it right yeah so now it it hits home with more people because because everyone's a little bit more more open yeah which is really brilliant it can the other the other side of that and i everything has a shadow doesn't it the other side of that is that it can breed more fear so yeah. i think that the, you know the the, the 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 sort of fear that we attach to things as well so yes of course brilliant but what we've got to be careful of 
is that by, uh, you know, that that we say, you know, is still common, you know, it's still common for, for women to miscarry and it can be normal. It doesn't mean there isn't suffering. Yeah. You know? mm. Um, and I think that's a bit that has to be acknowledged. Um, I, I, the problem that I see is the enormous, like I said in the beginning, the enormous amount of meaning. And, and I think this is one of the problems that we're seeing um, with a, an overload of information is that um, we attach a huge amount of meaning um, when, when maybe the, that isn't the meaning, you know, you know, yeah, so yeah, I've, yeah. I've had a miscarriage. So that means, you know, I, I'm, you know, whatever it is that people attach to that, um, you know, maybe we're not compatible with each other. Maybe, you know, there's like... Maybe I wouldn't be a very good mum. Yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly. It's not meant to be. I hate that. It's not meant to be. You maybe know, it's because whole... I had a one-night stand when I was 17. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a common one. Yeah, yeah. the self-punishment, the shaming, or yeah. I had determination. Yeah, yeah, punishment. yeah. yeah. Um, going back to that it's not meant to be really got to call people on those I wrote a a post about this yesterday so when you um, express so that's a sure sign when someone gives you one of those plaintiffs um, those sort of cliches like worst things happen at sea well at least this yeah yeah what they're doing is they're bypassing your pain so um, and often that's because they they haven't been able to or not supported to bring compassionate to their own suffering bring compassion to their own suffering so it's really difficult for them to be with someone else's um and it's a sort of almost like a toxic positivity yeah um and and i I notice it (laughs) i was noticing it the other day that people who minimize the catastrophic and catastrophic catastrophize the minimal so, you know, like they have a, a, a fairly bad journey home from work and it's like, oh, my God, that was absolutely horrific. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a bad journey home from work, it's probably not horrific. I mean, a village getting wiped out by a tsunami. Now that's horrific. Yeah. But, you know, when you say something really big to them, like, you know, I'm really struggling to come to terms with my grief you know I'm so disappointed I put so much hope in having this child they're like well at least you know you can get pregnant so they minimize your pain yet they catastrophize the unimportant um and and I think that that that's something yes we must all accept where everyone else is but I think when you notice it you notice that those people are often bypassing their own trauma or their own pain. And I think it's okay to gently pull people. So, you know, to, to say, to be with your vulnerability. So when we opened today, I was like, just to be clear, I've spent the morning sobbing, yeah. mm. <laughs> um, you know, and, and to, um, you know, and to just allow that and, you know, then to say, well, I'm, I'm okay now because I've allowed myself to have that moment of, you know, pain, and not for someone to sort of brush over it for you, tie a little, you know, put it in a neat little package with a bow on the top. Yeah, yeah trying to so slap, slap you with an emotional <laughs> plaster. Yeah. Exactly. And they don't, it's not that they mean any harm, it's just no. that they often haven't um, brought compassion to their own wounds and their own trauma. That's really interesting. We've never, we talk about this a lot and how invalidating it is when someone starts a sentence with at least, and then you sort of feel that your grief is disproportionate to your loss. 
um, I think, in this community hugely because when people are saying to you, oh, at least it was early or, oh, at least you've already got kids or it's sort of saying you shouldn't be this upset because you should look on the bright side of life. But actually, when you lose your baby, no matter what your your situation is, whether it's an early loss, whether you've got kids at home, whether it's your fifth loss, whether, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a topic, whether it's a TFMR, when you have that experience, it brings with it so much grief and so much pain that how can you possibly bypass that? And I think that's where we struggle. I think emotionally, you can only understand uh, baby loss if you've been through it. But I think educationally, we can all we can all understand it. We can learn it because we learn, you know, everything else. Yeah. And I think that's where we need to push is, is educationally. People need to understand how to manage talking to people and not, yeah. you know, as you say, they're, they're brushing over. It might come from a place of their own personal um, trauma but we need to learn how to know ourselves, don't we? We need to untraumatize ourselves. That's the yeah. thing. Because yeah. if we if we untraumatize ourselves and we all have trauma, make no mistake about it, you know, big T, little T, it doesn't have to be a massive thing. You know, it could be your A-level results, you know. Some people I would still do sessions with people who are traumatized by their A-level <laughs> results. <laughs> and when they have a failed IVF cycle, it brings up all that trauma of that, you know, of that. You know, it's, yeah. it's fascinating Failure. to see that. What, where this stuff comes back to mm. um and but I think that we we just we need to understand it and that's why people like Gabal Mate um who are writing about trauma and the impact of trauma for me this is it's so compassionate that work is so compassionate because I still do it I I've been mentoring women for 20 years I've been through all sorts of things myself I still find myself saying at least because I was so programmed to respond like that yeah. mm-hmm. um and um and I but I catch myself on it and if I do it now I usually come back and I say I'm so sorry I I really didn't mean you know I didn't mean to you know not to validate the pain um I I'm sorry you know whatever and I call myself on it but I also gently call other people on it too where where I can you know mm-hmm. yeah sometimes you don't have the the energy to call people on it though do you I I know there'll be lots of people listening who hear this all the time at least and you know all of these well-meant phrases and sometimes the easiest thing is just to smile and nod and carry on I'll tell you you why that is there's a there's actual scientific mechanism behind that because when they say it it triggers you right Mm -hmm. so you're triggered so what happens is a part of the brain um, that that can respond logically gets shut down. It goes into freeze mode, so you can't actually respond in an articulate way. And the only reason that I can do that now, and I, like I say, I am far from perfect. I still can't do it. I have triggers as well, um, but because I've worked through so many of my traumas and triggers and all of that kind of thing, I know when I'm not being compassionate with myself. Um, and I'm, I, I'm, and there's a tiny little gap that happens before the trauma, before the shutdown happens. And in that moment, I, if I drop really into myself, I'm able to say from a really compassionate place, um, no, that's not how it, you know, that's not how it, I need to be with my pain 
just mm. I need to be with my pain just for a few minutes but I don't want to be rushed out of it I don't I don't want at least mm-hmm. you know I actually want at most <laughs> yeah yeah you know um, and, and in that there's this amazing expansion that happens and when you do it and demonstrate it to another person it, it at some level it gives them permission as well mm. Mm. that's really interesting I think with our society the way the world has kind of come on is that we're all rushing to do we we're all so used to a quick fix for everything like you don't yeah. even have to have any money now to buy a car you just buy it and then you pay monthly you know you don't right. that, that's <laughs> that's taking you yeah. take all the kind of hard work out yeah. of so many things and you have a headache you immediately look to take tablets to to get rid of the headache and I think we are so used to that way of living that we we don't want to sit with our pain and when you actually go through something really traumatic that fills you with grief we're just looking to get rid of it and actually I think there's a huge benefit from sitting in it and learning from it but it's not comfortable no it's definitely not comfortable but growth is not comfortable no it's not (laughs) leaving your your little area of comfort is is really hard yeah um but that's that's exactly right I mean you know that then that's exactly what I try and do in my in my practice is use these these gateways to pain I I promise you I'm not saying this from a place of someone who hasn't had pain you know Mm. as human beings if we think we can avoid pain forget it and this goes for obviously every area of life not just babies you know it's like illness jobs you know relationships relationships. I think you can do it but only in the short term because it it then will creep up on you and bite you in the ass Mm. (laughs) it's like pushing a a ball under the water you can keep it down but it takes a lot of effort and then at some point you have to let it go and it will come bouncing out okay so what we're seeing at the moment is is this real uh, me too this real rising of 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 people's wounds coming to the surface and that's why you probably find it's quite difficult to be around a lot of people because mm. people are, are getting triggered and their wounds are getting activated much more readily much quicker mm-hmm. um than ever before and I, I i've seen this evolution through my practice I mean, when i started out 25 years ago i would be talking to people about you know, not drinking a bottle of Chardonnay after work and eating a packet of Haribos for dinner and expecting <laughs> to be a fertile, you know, dinner. There's something wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, and um, yeah, and now it's um, my conversations with people are much more about on the, on the dealing with the emotional stuff and, mm. and, you know, not not that that's not important, of course, you know, of course, that's uh, that's important as well. But it, there's been such a shift, um, and everyone is kind of emotionally evolving as mm. at the moment. So mm. it's hard to it's hard, we have to have more patience and kindness and compassion. I think, and mm. you know, it's real. I think the 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 pandemic has been a real. I think it's obviously been horrendous on so many levels. But I do think that it has brought mental health to the forefront of everyone's yeah. minds. And I think that's been, it, I, I imagine that the the advances in mental health, taking care of one's own mental health has actually 
been a good thing during yeah, the, one's the own mental health plus you know companies with their employees there's been a big focus on well-being and things like that but some good things have come out of bloody covid bloody covid COVID. i think um at the, i think the stage i use this analogy i think the stage that we're at is you know when you decide to sort out the attic you get everything down from the attic <laughs> you've laid it all over the floor <laughs> and you think oh god I wish I, I wish I hadn't done this because yeah. <laughs> there's a lot there to sort out and I think unfortunately we're slightly in the the messy stage where everyone's emptied their attic and they're trying to work <laughs> with their stuff <laughs> I like that analogy. What, do I, what do I keep what do I hold on to yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh well, thank you so much for for joining us and chatting with us. It's been it's been really good. It's been Honestly, I had no idea which way it was going to go, and it's really nice because I sometimes feel like I talk about the same things all the time, and actually that was really fresh and and oh, good. Uh, I felt like I really I, I, I you know not that I don't go there. I always go there, and I, I think my role is to push the boundaries. Like I've always been quite pioneering in my approach and. I got I kind of like now I'm so into the mind stuff and I think it's really what I'm seeing is needed and I feel like it's the next bit of the puzzle with medicine yeah Um, yeah and and I think this uh, this you know the more compassion that we can bring to ourselves then the more compassion that we have with other people and yeah and that's I mean that's our approach as well with the fact that you know we've just launched our um pathway to recovery course for um women following following loss and that is totally focused on self-care so it's you know and we have these drop-in um zoom meetings every week for for women who just want to share and it's amazing isn't it or it's just mm. oh i'll come on one yeah. day if you want oh that would We'd be awesome love that. yeah we have a, um, a membership platform for everyone who's been on one of our courses it has access to it's called the warrior hub and we hold, um, we host monthly um, like webinars and things like that. So it would be wonderful to have you. Yeah, that would be great because I'm sure we get some um, some good questions as well. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Emma. Yeah. No, I'd love to do that. I mean, I'm, I, I, I kind of, I, I think something really powerful happens when women gather together, um, and um, I, I think it's really important that we keep that we keep doing that and. Yeah, you know, support support one another, and I, you know, I, I think it is changing, and I see it's changing, and I, I want it, to, I want it to change by the time my kids have their children. Yeah, yes. yeah. that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's yeah. about doing this for the for, for the, the future generation to go through the shit that we went through. Yeah, mm. just so you can hit the ground running, isn't it? When when the inevitable does, if the inevitable happens, that you're prepared. Knowledge is power. Yeah. Amen, sister. And I think if, you know, if there's something that people can take away from today if they're trying to support people is if they did, you know, instead of rushing in with a plaintiff to say, you know, I don't know what to say or how can I support you? Mm. Um, you know, because a lot of the time when people open up, they really don't want, they're not necessarily looking for a solution. You yeah. know, they're looking for you just to hear them and to see them, to validate where they're at. Mm. Uh, validation solution, is so key. Yeah can't bring the baby back you can't make that IVF cycle having you know you can't make it work when it's already not worked but yeah we can be there to support each other I still remember the sense of relief when I saw my my I I see a therapist I've been seeing a therapist for years and years and years but the first time I saw her after I lost the baby she said I sort of explained a lot about what would have been happening and she just said gosh 
that must have been so hard for you. And it, I can still remember feeling like something had just been lifted off me. Someone recognizing that I was in a really shitty situation and not going, oh, you'll be all right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And actually so the freedom I felt afterwards, someone just calling it how it is yeah, and, and seeing you, meeting you where you're at instead of trying to push you away or, Thank you know, it, it's so validating for someone to just acknowledge the fact that you're in pain. Yeah, honestly, rather than try and make it better. If we can, if we could all learn that as a society, honestly, that would be a huge step. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll get there with baby steps. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you so much, and, th- and thank you for your amazing work. Honestly, it's so needed, and yeah, um, yeah I really see what you're doing. It's brilliant. Oh, thank thank you. you. It's been so oh. lovely to meet you, and yes. hopefully, we will chat to you again soon. And we definitely adore the pink hair. <laughs> yeah, love it. Okay. <laughs> all right, all take the best. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Emma. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you next week. And to find out more about our pathway to recovery, please visit our website. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.